My name is Jill Phillips and I'm the creator of Who's Shoes, a popular approach to co-production. I was named as an HSJ100 wildcard and want to help give a voice to others talking about their ideas and experiences. I'll be chatting with people from all sorts of different perspectives, walking in their shoes. If you are interested in the future of healthcare and like to hear what other people think, or perhaps even contribute at some point, Whose Shoes Wildcard is for you. I always hoped that this podcast would be about networking and connecting, and this is exactly what's happening today. As some of you will know, I'm a big friend of Yvonne Newbold and a big champion of the wonderful work that she does at Newbold Hope. You can listen to my conversation with Yvonne in episode 13, which has been one of the most popular episodes of the podcast series so far. Anyway, I recently helped Yvonne Newbold with her Newbold Hope conference. It was a fantastic conference, very who's shoes in style in terms of bringing in speakers from different perspectives. They were all passionate about improving the lives of children and families, particularly those affected by violent and challenging behaviour due to anxiety. I found it the most fascinating day and I learned so much. I love the way that people from different sectors came together to support families. And of course, families don't think in sectors. They just have children who need support to get the best start in life and want everyone to come together to support them. The speakers came from healthcare, education, academia, and more. I had my scouting hat on to see who might make a good future podcast guest. Pretty much all of them, to be honest, as they were such passionate people doing such great work. I reached out to one of the speakers, Rachel Tomlinson, who is my podcast guest today. Rachel is head of Barrowfield Primary School in Lancashire. The mission statement of the school is learn to love, love to learn, and they aim for their pupils to be rounded and grounded, such a simple and inclusive message. Reading the evaluation sheets afterwards, so many people wanted to hear more from Rachel that I thought it would be brilliant to invite her to speak as a podcast guest, and here she is. So welcome, Rachel. I'm so glad you could join me today. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and what's important to you? Hi, Jill. Um, it's a real privilege to join you. I've been listening, working my way through your podcast program, so I, I feel really privileged to be part of it. I'm the head teacher of Barrowford Primary School, which is in Lancashire. Um, it's East Lancashire. You can probably tell that from the accent. And I've been there for ugh, 14 years, which makes me feel really old. And as you, you say, I mission statement our logo is learn to love love to learn and that in terms of our our ethos our values our drive it's about inclusivity it's about making every single child the center of our focus and I often talk about lenses that we look through and for us it's really important that for every single child that we have in our school we try to look through their lens and try to, to see the school experience through their lens, particularly those children for whom it's not an easy ride. And to make sure that we're doing everything we can to make them feel safe and valued and loved in order for them to, to be successful. That's fantastic. It's so simple, isn't it? And I think in terms of my whose shoes work, the idea of looking through a lens and just seeing things a bit differently. I know the 
the work that I've done around particularly young children and some quite interesting thoughts around the infant voice. There's a wonderful organisation in Birmingham called Approachable Parenting. And as a result of coming along to a Who Shoes event that we ran for young parents in Birmingham, they apparently changed the training that they were offering and flipped it to be through the infant voice. This is the baby's perspective. And they just found it very, very interesting in terms of people seeing things differently, that that little baby lying there and waiting for people to look after it and nurture it and what it might be thinking. There's a fantastic programme that I'm desperate to try and get some of our staff trained in called Roots of Empathy. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's come out of New Zealand and it just made me really smile there when you talked about that infant voice. Because essentially Roots of Empathy is the baby is the teacher and so it's a a new parent and the baby and the baby wears a t-shirt that says teacher. Oh wow. And and it's I think a 15 or 20 week programme where the baby visits with parents the the second week in a three-week block five or six times. So the children will learn about something pre-visit and then there's a visit and then there's a post-visit thing. And that that kind of happens in blocks of three visits. Um, And it's all about that relationship between the mother and the baby and or or the parents and the baby. And the the inference that very young children can pick up from that, you know, why is the baby crying now? Or why is mummy or daddy doing that? And it's about attachment and connection, isn't it? And it's how we form those really early connections as babies ourselves. Obviously, now I need to go off and research Roots of Empathy in New Zealand. This is my trouble, isn't it? I get involved in so many things and interested in so many things. It's absolutely fascinating. And of course, my mind's now going off. I attended a fascinating session recently. So I think you'd love this, Rachel. There's a guy, a doctor called Dr. Bob Kleber, who runs kindness sessions And it brings in an international audience. They're such special sessions. And there's someone called Nikki Macklin in New Zealand. And she led the most recent session, which I just went off on one about because she was talking about, try and get this right, needles and noodles. And it really linked with a very recent episode that I've done. So you probably haven't got to it yet, but I think you'll love the episode with Miles Sibley who's the founder of Patient Experience Library. And he's talking about um, the kind of like imbalance between medical evidence, medical reports, serious incidents, all this language that reinforces the medical side of things. And then patient stories, patient complaints, anecdotal stuff, softer stuff. And the Bob Kleber session with Nikki Macklin so in tune with that and I think all of these different strands are coming together aren't they in terms of the formal traditional way that we've seen things and the things that are accepted as being the way of doing things and then in my view kind of imaginative people like you who look beyond that and see the human being and see what really matters to people and there's also a movement now what matters to you so there's a hashtag on Twitter WMTY And again, there are sessions around what matters to you, bringing together some really extraordinary people. And it's people coming together regardless of whether they happen to be a doctor or a head teacher or a parent or, and actually, obviously, people cross those boxes and 
the head teachers have children too, or the chief exec has a mum with dementia or a child with learning disabilities, whatever it happens to be. So I suppose that's what I'm trying to do through who she is, bringing people together as people. And then some of those light bulb moments, we call them lemon light bulbs in terms of, well, perhaps we can do things a bit differently. And I think that's that's really key. And and one of my frustrations, and I, I try not to get frustrated because nobody goes to work wanting to do, you know, a bad job, but, you know, everybody wants to do the very best. And I think sometimes we get, this veil comes down in front of us of, of system and protocol and process. And that kind of blinds us to the person. And I think, so when I talk about lens and I talk about lens to our staff, it's really so we we keep our focus on the person and actually the process and all all the protocols and stuff can slot in afterwards. We can do that stuff. We just really need to have the human connection and see each other as people. Because if we see each other as people, actually genuinely and generally, we are kind, you know, we, we, we want to, to make a difference. We want to be kind. We want to kind of move all the peripheral stuff out of the way to get to the, to the root of, of what we need. And, and I think if as soon as people can see each other as people and know that we're working hard to make that connection, both sides, then that's where it becomes really simple then. I think actually lots of the stuff that causes massive problems there's really simple solutions to and and often it's just having a connection with somebody it really is yeah there's a tremendous synergy here I've had some fun the last couple of weeks I've actually managed to do two who's shoes workshops in the room which obviously has been less usual you know we haven't really haven't had a chance we've done virtual events but this was an event one of them particularly relevant Midlands Partnership Foundation Trust And we were looking at how to start the event and there was a fantastic, um, another Rachel, I think this podcast might be becoming a party of Rachel's. So Rachel Crook, her name was, a young specialist nurse, but also a parent. So was it appropriate for her to be the person telling a lived experience story at the beginning of the workshop? Well, yes, it was. You know, she happened to be a healthcare professional, but she was a parent of two young children and she she just told it how it was. Her experiences, the fact that by being a healthcare professional, it didn't immediately mean that you knew the exact pathway through the system. It really, really didn't. And it was just so from the heart and so real that it started our session in just the right place. And I hear this phrase, if you like, over and over in different work that I do, that when you're on the other side of the fence, then it feels so different. Well, why is that? And what can we do about that? And why is there a fence? And I think probably that that analogy of the fence is what I kind of talked about, the the protocols and the processes. And and I think that there's such a lot of anxiety about getting it right that sometimes we get it really wrong because we're so anxious about getting things right. And, And I think we just need to just sit next to each other and and kind of dispel that notion of we're at the other side of a fence or we're at different angles because actually we are all just people and and ultimately our goal is the same isn't it it's to make sure that everybody in in our care has the best experience and I'm not naive and I know there are tensions in that you know we, we have some children who find school really really difficult and that causes us anxiety but it's just about kind of trying to to find a clear view through the anxiety to, to make sure that that's not clouding judgments and, and I think 
sitting down and, and seeing people and it is a really big part of that so at our school we one of the things that we are I guess notorious for or um, people know about us is that we have no punishments and no rewards which is very unusual so we have been punishment free for about 13 years and reward free for about 10 and I think the the notion came from restorative approaches training that I was really lucky to access Um, and the lady who ran that just changed my life really as a professional and as a person she's kind of one of my great big heroes Um, and he's so humble that she would be mortified for me to say that but she kind of really changed my life in terms of of looking at that lived experience and, and looking at the the behaviors that may come from part of that and I kind of knew that academically really and I, and I think probably she was somewhat in the right place at the right time for me that, to put all of that academic stuff into a real life context because I had just come into to leadership school leadership and fairly young and, and it was probably the right time for me but we follow a restorative approach so if children get it wrong and you know not just children if adults get it wrong because actually as human beings we do get it wrong it, it's part of being human and actually it's part of learning so that's why it's really important for us that it's learn to love love to learn because we can frame mistakes in behavior in the same way that we frame mistakes in English or maths or spelling or science and actually the best scientists learn the most from their mistakes so we can kind of frame that in the same way so we learn from our mistakes and mistaken behavior especially for children who are just learning how to be and learning how to do relationships. We're not born knowing how to be a good friend or do the right thing in any given context. So it's our job as educators to educate them in that as well as teach them how to do long multiplication and and spell tricky words correctly. So really that's the focus. So when it goes wrong, there's no kind of great emotional involvement in the putting right of it really. We wait till everybody's calm. We wait till everybody feels in a really safe place. And then we sit down and talk about what went wrong. And we talk about what went wrong kind of before it even went wrong. So we start at, did you have some breakfast this morning? And, you know, we we go through all of those steps. And then, you know, so we unpick about how each of the parties felt at the time and how that might have impacted on the way they reacted or how they saw the situation. And then we just talk about what we need to put it right. Because ultimately, it's about restoring the relationship. It's not about the wrongdoing or the mistake or the event. It's about actually that that broke a relationship or harmed a relationship. So it's about restoring the relationship, putting putting the relationship back together. And that's how we've we've operated. And we operate like that with our four-year-olds. And we operate like that with our staff team when it goes wrong on our staff team and everything in between. And actually a lot between adults and children. We, we have those conversations between adults and children as well. And obviously very much in keeping with Yvonne Newbold's work, isn't it? And also I was talking to somebody this week, similar kind of conversation in a way, and she said to me that in some schools, forgetting a pen could lead to a permanent exclusion. And I'm thinking, well, how does that happen? And she was explaining that kind of escalation. A child perhaps knows they're going to get in trouble, so mm-hmm. therefore they're excessively worried and therefore they kick off more and therefore the reaction's bigger and they end up the head teacher and so it really is very interesting to hear how just taking it back to perhaps did you have your breakfast or 
what can you do to remember your pen next time or those kind of just simple simple conversations making school feel safe enough for someone to say I've not got a pen I mean that's not an issue in in the primary so much but you know making school safe enough to say I'm hungry or I'm feeling really uncomfortable or I can't do this or this is making me feel really stressed and create and, and that's about relationships isn't it and that's about taking that power imbalance away and a lot of it is about power isn't it taking that power imbalance away and just saying actually we're just two people in a situation here and we just need to find a way for this to work for both of us and my job is to help you learn so you need to be part of this relationship as well because I can't do that by myself and it is really key and and, you know don't let small stuff escalate because it is often it's like the you know the grain in the oyster isn't it it is often the, the really small stuff that causes eventually the, the really big reactions and and then really difficult situations. So coming back to Yvonne's conference, I was very privileged, as I know you, you feel you were, you know, to join that at all. And I did my little interviews with a couple of parents and also with Dan. So a young man who's now 17, I think, explaining that lens that you've been talking about now I thought that was just incredibly valuable to get a young person actually talking about what it feels like the build-up of emotions or, or feelings or being out of control and I'm really hoping that I just think it's so brave and so painful for people sometimes to tell such personal stories so I guess through the podcast I'm trying to give a channel for people who are brave enough to do that so that we get those stories really listened to. Because I hear people all the time, like particularly perhaps the NHS people that I work with, saying we need to listen to personal stories. But they're out there. A lot of taboo subjects are being broken, aren't they, by people like Yvonne Newbold. Mm-hmm. So how do we get people to listen more? And I think that is the crux of the question, really. And listen more in our industry, and I say industry in inverted commas, but in, in education, listening to children. And I think that voice should be so loud and we should trust that they have lots to say. And you're right, it's about tackling really difficult situations. There are all kinds of, and Yvonne talks about it so well, doesn't she? That shame that she was made to feel as a parent of a child who was violent and and that came through so strongly in the conference and was a real, you know, I listened to parents all day, every day and children every day. And it kind of made me left at the end of the conference and went out to our staff and went, oh, crikey, we need to do more of this. We need to, we need to really think about how it feels to be a parent and sharing some of that stuff because it, it is difficult and it is difficult to talk about openly with pride about your child being permanently excluded from school because the shame in that is so vast and actually we need to take that away as much as we can because often a child hasn't achieved a permanent exclusion by themselves the school and you know lots of other things that clearly had a role in that so we need to enable our children and our parents to to talk about those experiences where school has gone wrong and it not be on them and it not feel like they failed as a parent or the child has failed and actually we need to take that sense of failure out of it in its entirety so schools also can look at it I I was in school this week uh, met we have a new child starting actually after the holiday who has very recently experienced a permanent exclusion and they came to visit and, and we were talking about it and 
the impact of school exclusion is massive. And I think we need to break down those barriers and for schools. And I think the medical system can teach us a lot in terms of looking at what went wrong and picking those pieces up. Because I think sometimes schools will say, oh, there was nothing else I could do. And kind of that's the end of it then. And I'm not saying that schools permanently exclude lightly at all, because I'm, I'm absolutely certain they don't. But then almost when it is done, they've kind of, it's finished for them because then the child is not at their school. So I think we need to have some kind of system where we really unpick what went wrong and and we do a review, like a serious incident review, because it is a serious incident. It's life-changing for a child. It's life-changing for a family and really long-lasting, life-changing experiences, really. And how do we unpick that so it stops happening? How can we empower schools to kind of go, all right, that felt like it was the only thing I could do at that time with that child. But I'm going to engage in a process to unpick. Let's go right back to when they were in year one and we started experiencing some difficulties. How could we have changed our approach then so it didn't escalate to the point that it got to? And I think schools are quite defensive about that process. Parents and children are ashamed of it. And it's almost like there's a gulf in the middle, really. We need to try and go, actually, there's no shame here. There's no failure. Let's just unpick what happened and be much more pragmatic about it, really. Yeah, that's so important. And another thing that jumps out at me, you know, remembering from Yvonne's conference was one of the mums talking about why don't people believe us? You know, if people are brave enough, really, or desperate enough to admit that their child is in that case perhaps violent at home and the kind of platitudes in terms of well they're fine at school and people understanding perhaps the build-up of how the child's containing itself at school and feeling safe at home to be able to explode or whatever and I remember this mum saying you know why don't people believe us because if we're going to make something up we wouldn't be making up about our child hitting us at home or whatever it might be because the shame that goes with that, we'd be making up lovely things that happen in our family. So I guess it's trust and just listening and believing and then working together. That particular mum took my breath, really. Yeah. And and that particular statement about if we were going to make things up, why would we do that? And I think I'm smiling when you say it doesn't do that at school, because one of the things that brings teachers to blows nearly is when one teacher says to another, well, they didn't behave like that for me. So you, as, as professionals, you can kind of feel that, how dare you say that it's my fault because it doesn't behave like that for you. So why would we think it would be any less bad? And in fact, it's a hundred times worse for us to go to parents. Well, they don't behave like that for us. And I think there are all kinds of reasons that children behave differently in different contexts. And that, again, was one of the follow-up conversations that I went and had with staff. And one of the big things about the conversations I often have with new teachers and that we often have with new teachers is that under no circumstances do we ever make a parent feel like they've to apologise for their child. You know, as a mum, I never want to be in a position where I'm apologising for my child existing or, you know, anything about my child. They're They're the most precious things that any parent has. So that is incredibly just, that is incredibly impactful in a really negative way and breaks a relationship almost immediately you know there's no trust in a relationship that makes you feel ashamed of of your child so we we try and, and steer away from that thing where we've got you know can we just have a word which I think makes parents 
the hearts sink and you know we've I've heard lots of parents who've come to us after negative experiences at school say you know I couldn't go in the school gates because I was so embarrassed or I you know I felt like I couldn't look at any of the parents it broke my relationships with the other parents down we stopped getting invitations to birthday parties all of those kinds of things and absolutely we need to really listen to that parent voice and try and unpick if there is a difference in behavior rather than being quite smug about the fact that we're getting the good end of it actually sometimes and again this conversation we have frequently about some of the children in our school if children are behaving in a certain way at school and in a different way at home actually we've got a a job of work to do if we've created a context in which children feel like they have to mask and change their their emotions and and resist the behaviors so it does explode at home we've got a job of work to do so so our context changes for that child and they don't feel like they have to mask they do feel safe enough to express what's going on for them and, and with them so it doesn't end up in a big explosion at home and and just to unpick those and and unpick them in a in a really pragmatic rational reasonable way really with no judgment and I think it's the judgment element that's that's really important because I think we can acknowledge that that people do behave differently in different contexts children do behave differently at home and at school yeah and I had a bit of a lemon light bulb there in terms of it being the same between teachers so well they don't misbehave in my class well perhaps it was because they felt so contained within that earlier class and now they actually feel safer with the teacher where they kick off a bit you know it could be the the same I remember it's funny I think parenthood is just so deep isn't it and that feeling you you want to be proud of your children and I immediately went back to there was one school dinner lady when my oldest child was very young and walking around the village if he was going to kick off and be a bit difficult we'd meet her (laughs) we'd just meet her it was just like this fate that you just got this feeling without anything being said like yeah there he goes again and you want to say well it's not always like that but and it really wasn't but just it was like if you know in the supermarket you know if you've always got a bit of wine in the trolley you always meet the most judgmental person who sort of look down your supermarket trolley and only see wine or you know whatever it is absolutely it's, it's so yeah. human yeah it is and and I guess we're so invested aren't we in our children and I think sometimes we get carried away by that and I always say, you know, I've got two children and I always say that becoming a parent didn't make me a better teacher. It didn't change my practice in the classroom, I don't think. But it made me better at engaging with parents, definitely. It made me see the whole process very, very differently. And it, cha- it definitely changed my interactions with parents for the better. It made me much more empathic. It made me, it made me much kinder. And I guess that's maturity as well. I don't think, you yeah. know, going in as a 22-year-old, look at me, I know everything. And, and I don't think I ever did that. I hope I never did that. But I know that, especially when my daughter, my eldest, started school, just completely kind of rocked my foundations, really. I had to really think about and really reset myself as a professional. And, and we talk about, is it good enough for us? And I was looking, my children came to our school, so as primary, and I think, that I feel really privileged and really fortunate that that could happen. And, you know, one of the things that we always say as a senior leadership team is, is it good enough for us? Because if it's not good enough for us, it's not good enough for anybody's. Is it good enough for us for us to be screaming and shouting or 
all of those things. And, and that's kind of led a lot of our practice, really, because I would feel murderous if a teacher got in my child's face and shouted at them. So if it's not good enough for mine, it's not good enough for anybody's. And as a rule of thumb, it's served us pretty well, really. And in our engagements with parents, and, you know, and once my children moved on to high school, I am the world's worst parent. They must say, oh, God, here she comes again. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but just, just the advocating really for, because my children, you know, they can fight their own battles really and, and they'll be okay because they've got resilience around them. But there are some children who haven't. So, so if there is an injustice, I kind of have to advocate on behalf of all the other children in the whole world. And it frustrates my children immensely. Oh, just leave it, mum. Just leave it. It's all right. I'm all right with it. Just leave it. And I can't. But that's the cross that they have to bear on Good Friday. Um, <laughs> but, but I guess just in our interactions with parents, just to moderate that and think, well, if that was me sitting at this table, how would I feel if this was happening? So, you know, just having that empathy and, and becoming a parent, I think, and seeing my children grow and at each different stage, actually the empathy has changed somewhat because we can we can relate more, can't we? And that's just natural, I think. Yeah. So walk in my shoes, isn't it? Walk in my shoes, yeah. yeah. And there, but for the grace of God, go I as well, you know. With everything. With everything. Everything. Every every little thing. And, you know, this could be me next week sitting at a table. Your approach is so refreshingly human. I know it said in the feedback for Yvonne's conference that quite a few parents wanted to clone you, Rachel. <laughs> and, oh, God, I'm not sure the world's ready for one of me, let alone more than one. Um, <laughs> I, I think one of the things that really struck me about Yvonne's conference, and, and it was so fantastic in the diversity of it in the fact that it was lots of different people coming together to talk about the same thing one of the things that really struck me was as a school our relationships with all the people who may be involved in a child and sometimes we don't get that right because as different sectors I think sometimes we prejudge people and I think it's really important that as sectors, we kind of aren't going into bat for our own sector. We're going into bat for the child. And, and let's put any of our, well, you don't understand what it's like to be a teacher or you don't understand what it's like to be a pediatrician or you don't understand what it's like to be a speech and language therapist. And I think sometimes we kind of go in into those conversations and, and we are a speech therapist rather than a person who's working on behalf of. And I think it's really important that, as professionals when we are talking about a child one that we never forget that we are talking about a child we're not talking about a process or a program or a system or or we're talking about a child and keeping that humanity really at the center of it but also the thing about parking your egos outside the door this isn't about anybody being better at it than anybody else this is about us all working together to and I guess I'm singing to you directly there because that's about co-creation isn't it it is yeah and as a cricket fan myself, that idea, I think that phrase will stick with me, not going into bat for your profession, but to go into bat for the child. Very powerful. Mm-hmm. So that's a lemon light bulb. And I'm aware in terms of other things we might have talked about and some of the, the work that I've done, which really, really interests me around young carers and whether schools are aware, which I think they are to hugely different degrees, that they've got children in school who are actually caring for, and they might think in terms of a sibling, but it could also be for their mother or for their significant caring role and how the school can adapt to that or be aware of that. 
you're absolutely right and I think that's happening more and more often isn't it and for me it's about understanding every child and it's a lens on every child and I think every child comes to us with with a different experience and it's about understanding that that is the case that we're not talking about cookie cutter children we're not talking about everybody coming with the same experience so if there is a willingness to understand that we are all coming from different places and if there is that openness to the fact that everybody's experience is going to be different then actually the lot of young carers becomes much better doesn't it because there is an openness in in the school to kind of go well actually I'm a little bit late because or I haven't done this because or I'm not wearing my school jumper because you know and, and all of that stuff and you know on the scheme of reality a school jumper is not even a dot of of anything really but I think it's just about the openness to understand that people are coming with different lived experiences. Some are young carers, some are ill, some have other things going on in their lives. And I think it is just acknowledging that those different experiences create different contexts for different children. So the lens of the child, walk in my shoes, keep things simple, humanity be be human be kind and you know I keep coming back to if we were just kind to each other none of this stuff would happen if we were just kind and we just act there's a thing about being kind but there's also a thing about almost an acknowledgement that and an understanding that nobody's going into a situation to make it difficult for anybody else let's just look at we talk about the grace model one of our teachers talks about the grace model going into a situation thinking that this person is okay and not the opposite and I think sometimes we go in thinking oh this is going to be a really hard conversation or this is going to be an awful situation and actually if we if we are kind on on the one hand and then approach every situation with this person's okay actually and it, it will be okay that would expedite a lot of good stuff I think It would change the world, wouldn't it? It really would, yeah. So thank you so much, Rachel. It's been an incredible conversation. We'd never actually spoken before we actually went live and and did our recording. So I don't think either of us knew where it was going to go, but it feels like a really useful conversation. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for having me, Jill. It's a pleasure. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If so, Please subscribe now to hear more of these fascinating conversations on your favourite podcast platform and please leave a review. I tweet as whose shoes. Thank you for being on this journey with me and let's hope that together we can make a difference.